Welcome to the C10 Mentoring and Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Dayton Moore's See You in the Major Leagues Foundation. Each episode of C10 brings inspiring, thought-provoking, and educational conversations with Kansas City area community-minded individuals. We dive into leadership and mentoring and how those can look for each of us in our own communities. And now, on with the C10 Mentoring and Leadership Podcast. Welcome to this week's C10 Conversation. I'm Matt Folks. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to click the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And wanting you to be a good friend and good family member, please share this with your family and friends. If you're into college sports at all, you've likely heard the name Bill Hancock. He was the longtime director of the NCAA Final Four, the first executive director of the Bowl Championship Series, and the first executive director of the college football playoff. Or, if you've ever had to deal with the unimaginable grief of losing a child, you may have read his incredible book, Riding with the Blue Moth, which he wrote a few years after the death of his son, Will, in the 2001 Oklahoma State plane crash. Frankly, it's a must-read for everyone, particularly in these times, but we'll talk about that a little bit later on. On top of all that, Bill, who's a longtime Kansas City resident, is one of the most genuine, caring people you will ever meet. So with that, I am honored and excited to introduce you to the Executive Director of the College Football Playoff, Bill Hancock. How are you today, Bill? Matt, I'm fine. Thank you for that kind introduction, and uh, it's good to see you, quote, unquote. <laughs> exactly. It's great how we're able to adjust with Zoom and FaceTime and these types of things, but uh, it doesn't take the place of the face-to-face meetings, and I think in some cases we're busier these days than we probably were pre-COVID, but at the same time, it is pretty nice, isn't it? You know, I, I never heard of Zoom. Probably you hadn't either until mm-hmm. a year ago. And it actually uh, made life a little more efficient for us as we went through the football season with as many meetings as we had to have. Mm-hmm. And then the championship game uh, week, uh, we could get people together on Zoom. We, that we would have taken a lot longer to get them together in person. Yeah. So I don't want to go back. I don't want any more pandemics, but um, this video conferencing is, has been a good thing. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see how businesses will transition here in the next uh, six to 18 months with Zoom, with people working from home, and what, what they've been able to learn from that. So, Bill, we like to start these conversations with a little thing we call a pregame batting practice, just a quick hit segment to get to know you a little bit better. So here we go. Question number one, my mentor growing up was, Oh, my goodness. I had a piano teacher in my hometown, and I was, a frankly, a really good piano player, and he he really started me on a good path. What was his name? Uh, Fred Holmes, and actually, he was in the next town over, and my mother took me to his town to take lessons each week. He was a New York City guy, and um, I just loved him, and he, he made me a better pianist and a better person. That's awesome. Question number two, if it weren't for college athletics, I would have been a? Oh, a newspaper man. Um, probably would have would have been laid off by now. <laughs> the way that business goes. But I learned how to write at an early age and, uh, and, and learned to love talking to people about their stories. So I think I would have been a good uh, newspaper man. And if I remember correctly, your, your dad was a newspaper man, wasn't he? Yeah, he owned our small town newspaper. And so I had a job uh, ever since I was about 11 when I got a paper route. Hmm. Um, Then I became a janitor when I was 14, the best promotion anyone ever had. (laughs) 
uh, started writing a column when I was a sophomore in high school. And yeah, I, I grew up in the newspaper business. That's that's cool. Question number three, my key to a joyful life is friends and family, people. Um, like I said, a minute ago, there's so many stories, everybody has stories. Mm -hmm. And I love talking to people learning about people. And so for me, a joyful life is, uh, is, is just what I can what I can learn from others. Yeah. And then question number four, if I can meet one person in history, it would be, Oh, my goodness. These are great questions. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I would probably say Franklin Roosevelt, you know, he really gave his life to getting our country uh, on its feet after the depression and, and, and back through the war. So just uh, top of my head, I would say FDR. Okay, very good. All right. So so tell me about 17 year old Bill Hancock. Oh, my goodness. Well, I was young for my class. So I was 17, actually, when I graduated from high school. Huh. And um, but I was tall. And I was not particularly athletic, but I was musical. And uh, there are a lot more uh, girls in the band than there are on the football team. <laughs> I learned that pretty fast. Um, but I love sports. I grew up around sports. And so our family, it was all about sports and classical music. My dad was a, was a church choir director. My mom was the organist. And I sung in the choir and uh, played tennis and ran track in high school, but didn't have the genes for athletics. Uh, but I was pretty smart, I must say. And always did well in school without trying, never mm -hmm. developed any study habits. That came back to haunt me in college. <laughs> yeah, so had a lot of friends and, and a real steady, including a real steady girlfriend. So I, I had a great life. Things were good when I was 17. When I was 17, though, was the summer of 68. So oh. that was RFK. Uh, that was, um, uh, well, Martin Luther King, Martin Luther King. Uh, and, and riots in cities. So that was a tough time for our country. Mm -hmm. But uh, I was I was I was a happy young person. And and you mentioned the, the longtime girlfriend, if I'm not mistaken, you still uh, know that longtime girlfriend, don't you? <laughs> yeah, the girlfriend is my wife. And uh, <laughs> we're, we've been together 52 years. That's awesome. So you graduated from the University of Oklahoma with a degree in journalism. But but shortly thereafter, you you started taking on some some leadership roles, whether you whether you saw it that way or not over the next several years, but I'm guessing some of that came earlier in your, in your life. When, when did you realize that, that you had uh, some leadership qualities and ability to, to lead people? Oh, that's a really interesting question. I don't think that dawned, that dawned on me until I was almost 30, probably. Wow. I was just so focused on tasks and, uh, and again, learning from people. I, I, I started out doing that. I started out uh, talking to people and, and seeing what I could take from them, but never saw myself as anything more than, than really just a, a reporter or a recorder of history and a, and a person who could be really well organized and, and put events together. Mm -hmm. um, so the transition to leading, uh, that came later for me. And you, you kind of referenced this, but you know, Dayton talks often about his dad taught him early in life that he should work every job as if it's the last job he'll ever have. And when you think about the joy that can bring, because you're not worried about the next step, you're not worried about a promotion or, or whatever, you're just going out and doing the best job you can. I, I get the sense through all that you've done, whether it's working in the newspaper business, associate commissioner of the big eight, the NCAA tournament, 
and to what you're doing today, I get the sense that through all of that, you've kind of had that similar philosophy to, to, to the way Dayton's approach jobs. Is that, is that yeah. a fair assessment? That's a, that's a great philosophy by Dayton and, and one that I completely agree with. I learned from early on, don't complain. Don't complain about your teachers. Mm -hmm. uh, if I ever said a bad word about one of my school teachers when I came home, I'd be in big trouble. <laughs> uh, I never thought the man was out to get me. I guess I am the man now without having transitioned into that, without having realized it. But I, I never complained about leaders. I, I just, I just, as I grew older, I learned, I took the good things from some and from others. I said, okay, I don't want to be that way. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing I think is when you work for somebody, treat the money as if it's your own money. You're given a budget to operate the final four. Mm -hmm. Well, for me, it was like, hey, I want to. I don't want to treat this like it's the NCA's money or the school's money. I, I want to treat it like it's my, like it's mine, and that means spend it as if it's yours. Don't mm -hmm. go throwing somebody else's money around. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's your last job, and be respectful and, and always honorable, always honest, and and take care of take care of the company's money. Mm -hmm. As you as you mentioned. In your early 30s, it's kind of when your your leadership journey really got started. What was what was most challenging for you in those first several years? You know, learning to earn my spurs. Hmm. And what that means is learning that I needed to take time until I, I knew more about how to operate, how to be a leader, and, and needed to just be patient. And once you earn your spurs, then you can be a leader. And I think leading is mostly leading by example. You, you can give people all the books you want to about leadership, and I've read a bunch of them. Mm -hmm. But for me, it's being respectful and, and leading by example and, and treating people the way you want to be treated. Mm -hmm. <laughs> life, man, life is not very difficult. If right. you do <laughs> but people want to make it hard, don't they? <laughs> they do. Yeah. I, I, I just think I, I've heard people say he's not happy unless he's unhappy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of truth in that. And I just have chose a long time ago. Uh, I chose to be happy. Yeah. It's about loving people, treating them with respect, treating them the way that you want to be treated. And if you do those three things, life would be a heck of a lot, a lot easier, <laughs> would it? So true. So true. And, 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 and know, a heck of a lot nicer, probably. Yeah, it would be. And, and none of us can control how we were brought up. Right. That's the way I was brought up. I was lucky to be in a loving family, a mm -hmm. uh, loving family that actually let me make my mistakes and learn from them. Yeah. Uh, lots of people are not that lucky. You mentioned a minute ago the uh, final four and, and handling the budget for that. And and you were the you were the executive director of that, if I remember correctly, from, man, was it uh, 20 years, 89 to yeah, I was there almost 16 years. Yeah. Okay. How much did you see that change over the years? Oh, we had such great tradition in the tournament when I when I started. I, I just got to build on the tradition that had been constructed before I got there. Mm -hmm. uh, the tournament was beloved. It was an icon already when I got there. And I didn't do anything other than get things organized. And I would say empower people in the cities uh, we worked with 14 cities every year when I was doing the tournament. And uh, my role was to set, set them, give them guidelines, but then let them go out and enjoy being the, being the tournament guru in their city for a year. Mm -hmm. You know, I got to do it every year, but, but, but for them, their one shot was for most cities, many cities was one year. So I knew, I knew they needed to go out and, and 
and, and be the big big tournament guru in their community. The tournament got bigger. Well, it, it, we got more teams during my time when I was there, but we got more TV money. We got more attention from media. Uh, we went to the big stadiums while I was there. Oh. Big, big change for the tournament. But obviously, I love that tournament, still do, and uh, can't wait for it to get started in a few weeks. It's interesting you mentioned letting the people in their cities basically run their tournament. Uh, and, and again, I think it goes back to what you were talking about with leadership a few minutes ago. I mean, be the example and then let them let them run with it. How how did you learn how to do that? I had some good mentors. You ask about my one when I was a child, mm -hmm. um, but Chuck Ninus at the Big A Conference was a great mentor. Chuck was like that. He he let you do your job. Uh, he stayed out of the way. If you messed up, you knew it. You learned about it. Mm -hmm. uh, Tom Jernstead, who's the mm -hmm. one that hired me at the NCAA, Tom was that way. Tom stayed out of the way, and he knew he brought me in to do my job, and 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 that I that he needed he didn't have to worry about it. Right uh, now, with Tom also, if I messed up, I learned about it. Uh, the same way with the commissioners when I got to join the BCS and, and now the CFP, um, they they let me do my job. They, mm -hmm. they don't have time to do their job and my job. Right, it never works that way, and, and that's the way I feel in my own role now with our staff. This is Royals General Manager Dayton Moore. I hope you're enjoying this podcast. My wife, Marianne, and I started CU in the Major Leagues in 2014. We did so simply as a way to give back to Kansas City. Because of our generous supporters, we've been able to grant more than $1 million to more than 60 organizations. If you're one of our supporters, I say thank you. If you're not, but you'd like to be one, please visit CUInTheMajorLeagues.org or simply click on the link in the show's notes. Now back to the podcast. thing that a lot of people, unless they've been in that spot, either either as an employee or an employer, as a leader, one thing you don't realize is how empowering that can be. That's the whole thing. There's nothing makes a person feel better than trust. Trust mm -hmm. the person. You hired that person. Now go trust the person and mentor, educate, but trust. Mm -hmm. There's nothing better than two things. <laughs> one is being trusted. And the second one is the ability to trust others. Were either of those difficult for you? Yeah, uh, tr learning to trust others was was not easy for me. Mm -hmm. um, I had done just about every job, and frankly, when 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 new people came on, then I had my way of having done it. And this is when I was oh maybe up until about early thirties, I had my way of doing it and thinking that was that was the only way. Mm -hmm. um, but I quickly learned I couldn't I couldn't do my job in theirs also. But I will say I, I am blessed in that I, I really have done just about every job, non-coaching or medical job in college athletics. Right. I hosted the hospitality room at the Big Eight Conference <laughs> Holiday Tournament back in the late seventies. I mean, I, I've I, so I've carried typewriters to the press box. I've typed play-by-play. -play. I've I've just I've just really done I've, I've done everything, and, and that's a blessing for me. Uh, because I can observe and, and I'm still learning. I still see people doing things that I used to do 30 years ago. And I think, man, they did it. That's so much better than what I ever did. What was wrong with me? Why didn't I figure out to do it their way instead? <laughs> it's a thrill. It's just great to watch younger people uh, be successful. Mm -hmm. I, I love that. And I love, I love seeing them grow. A couple of people that I've worked with and for have become athletic with have become athletic directors. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm just so proud of those people and, and proud of whatever small role I had in, in helping them grow. You know, I read something recently about, you know, you should want your 
people below you to want your job one day. You should want to have them aspire to that type of thing as opposed to not giving me any hope and, and uh, you know, just training them to, to do only what they're supposed to do. And, and there's so much truth in that, that when, when they can aspire to do what you're doing, it, it makes everyone better. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and not only aspire to what I'm doing, which is great, but also aspire to higher things. Hey, mm-hmm. you can be better than I am. You can do right. better. You can do more. I love that. And I do not ever want to keep people too long. No. Uh, I want them to stay as long as they want to, and as long as they're functioning, but I want people who are going to be hired to, mo- to move on. As we've mentioned, you, you were the director of the men's basketball tournament, the executive director of the, the former uh, BCS bowl championship series, and now the executive director of the college football playoff. What's what is similar about your role and in, in, in those three? Well, the leadership part is identical. Hmm. Um, you have your tasks to do, but then you also have the ability to lead and, and lead by example with others. The practical part of the events actually is, is very similar. The tournament is not, not terribly dissimilar from what I do now in the college football playoff. Uh, you work with a selection committee, you build a brand, you want to have the best event possible, and, and you're, dealing with, you're dealing with creating an experience for young athletes that they will remember forever. Mm-hmm. And if you're in you're if you're in my position, or an athletic director or, or a conference commissioner, that's what's foremost on your mind. Create that experience that those athletes will remember 50, 60 years from now. Yeah, that is what success means in my world. You know, it, it, it's funny, Bill, as I hear you talk about you know handling the money as if it's your own money, handling uh, the student athletes to where they get. An experience that 50 years from now, they're able to, to still talk about. As you go through life, you're thinking of others. My philosophy is to be more interested in others than I am in myself. Mm-hmm. I would much rather be asking you questions right. <laughs> <laughs> rather than you asking me questions. <laughs> Treat people the way you want to be treated. What was most challenging this year, trying to navigate COVID among the season? Well, the uncertainty, uh, the way things changed. Um, you know, I would have said in August, we're planning to have an event January 11th, but maybe we can't. It was a terrifically challenging year for every human being on this planet, every person on the planet. And so we can't see, we can't, we can't expect in college football for our lives to be any different than everybody else's. Right. Um, so I think, I think really just the uncertainty and, and planning through the uncertainty working with our selection committee, uh, trying to compare those teams was a challenge. At the end of the day, we got it right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, our, our challenges were nothing compared to those first responders and healthcare workers and even the guy that runs the checkout stand at the, at the grocery store where I go in Prairie Village. Right. They had challenges. Yep. We didn't have challenges compared to theirs. Well, as we come down to these final few minutes, I, I want to transition because as, as we've kind of referenced through this last year, there are so many people – are just hurting right now, just going through COVID and being stuck at home and, and people who have faced health challenges, mental health challenges over this last year. And it was a little less than a month ago. And in case you don't know the story, it was a little less than a month ago. It was the 20th anniversary of the Oklahoma State plane crash that took the life of, of Bill and Nikki's son, Will, along with nine others. 
even though it's it's been 20 years, how, how are you and Nikki and the family doing? Oh, well, I think of Will uh, almost every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard people say every day, and, and, and a lot of, for a lot of people, that's the case. But there, there might be a day or two go by when I don't think about him. I miss him terribly. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was 31 at the time. My regret is that he didn't get to do all the things that, that I got to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got to know his daughter, who was two months old, who's now a college sophomore, by the way. But we're, we're, you know, we're doing okay. We have our faith and our family and our friends and three, including three terrific grandchildren. Mm-hmm. As we had mentioned at the beginning of this, I guess it was a year or two after the, the, the plane crash, Bill and Nikki went on a bike ride across the country. And it was, it, in fact, I'll tell you what we'll do. I wrote a column about this uh, here at CM Major Leagues uh, a couple of years ago that we'll post the link to that below so people can see more about the story and, and the book itself but it's riding with the blue moth and and I'm, if you have been challenged during this last year if you are going through the unfathomable of losing a child whatever it might be i, I i've said often that uh bill this is it's kind of a cross between charles Carroll, uh john denver and uh jimmy stewart and it's just it's a wonderful read and and I, I say it's one of my favorite books. It is, it's a, it's a, it's a tough book to get through, but at the same time, just an incredibly inspiring book and a book that I think all of us can, can learn from. And, and obviously the bike ride was, you weren't planning on riding the bike to write a book, but it, it came out of it. Were you, were you surprised by just the response that the book got? And maybe it, it's still getting that type of response. Yes, I uh, thank you, Matt. Thank you for mentioning the book. And I guess the publisher would want me to say you can get them on Amazon. Just put my name in or put Writing with the Blue Moth in. And I think you can buy one, buy a used one for about 19 cents. Wow. <laughs> so, but I never imagined that the book would touch so many people. Um, I don't actually know how many it sold, probably 20, 25,000. So no, not not bad. Although Harry Potter has nothing to worry about from competition from my book. But I never realized, ever dreamed that so many people would contact me and say, Mr. Hancock, this book changed my life. Because mm-hmm. I'm just a regular guy. I don't have any training in helping people. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a sports nut and a music nerd. Um, but this book has helped people, and that's such a reward. And I'm, yeah. I'm so grateful. If somebody's listening to this who's been having a really difficult time in the last 11, 12 months, what would you say to that person now, just going back to your experience and how you've coped with this over the last 20 years? You may think there's no hope because I thought there was no hope. Mm-hmm. And, but eventually it dawned on me that there is hope. And the greatest gift we have is life. And that's from that's where I got my hope. And technically, for me, I I had I'm I'm a a runner. I was a runner until I got injured. Um, And so I reverted to what I loved, which was running. I ran 15 marathons. And so I I love that. But I took up biking after I broke my hip in a fall and um, fell in love with biking, fell in love with it and just decided, hey, here's an adventure. Mm -hmm. Let me see if I can ride my bicycle across the country. Don't know if I can or not, but kind of a goofy thing to try, but let's go try it. So whatever you're dreaming of, whether you're in grief or not in grief, whatever you're dreaming of, go do it. Don't put it off. And that's what I did on my bike ride. Actually, did did it twice. I rode from Mexico 
rode from uh, the Pacific to the Atlantic, and then I rode from Mexico to Canada. Oh, I didn't realize that one. Yeah, yep, up through Western Kansas, and 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 loved loved the Great Plains. It's a lot shorter. And right. a friend of mine said, "Hey, it must have been a lot easier the second one because you were going uphill all the way." <laughs> well, that first one was thirty six, if I remember correctly, thirty six days and twenty seven hundred miles ish. That's right, Matt. Thank you. Oh yep. my goodness! Yeah, well, that's. And I, I was I was I was pretty fit, admittedly, from my marathoning uh, background. So I didn't, I never had any trouble physically. I rode an average about 90 miles a day and uh, just loved it. And the great thing was not knowing what, what was ahead, not, except for a small section in Oklahoma where I, where I had been, where I grew up. I didn't know what was around the next corner ever. And there's a metaphor for life. Mm-hmm. You don't know what's coming, but go out there and see what happens. See what it is. Well, Bill, thank you for your time today. Hope you, hope you get to go out to some Royals games and just enjoy a couple months off before you guys crank it up again. Thank you, Matt. We share season tickets with some friends and uh, just just told my friend which games I, I could go to. And I, I know we're not going to get everything, but uh, I missed baseball so much last year. And I watched every Royals game on TV. And I, I never, no matter where I am in the world, I can't go to bed without knowing the Royals score. Yep. Whether I'm at the Olympics in Athens or, uh, or wherever, uh, I, I, can't, I just can't go to sleep without knowing what happened to the Royals. Well, that does it for this episode of the C10 Mentoring and Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, we hope that you'll leave a favorable review on your favorite podcast platform. If you didn't enjoy it or you have other comments or suggestions for potential guests, you can click on the comment link in the show's notes. We drop a new episode at the end of every week, but be sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss an interview. And if you or your company would like to help underwrite this podcast, let me know. Until next time, this is Matt Folks for the CU and the Major Leagues Foundation saying be safe and take care.